Welcome, friends, to Not Your Parents' Religion podcast. I am your host, Pastor Robert Young, where we provide biblical answers to today's modern tough questions. Now, a question that comes up in the news media from time to time and is back in the news media again is, should churches pay taxes? Well, we actually answered this question in one of our roundtable discussion series a few years ago. So I want you to join and listen in as we tackle this tough question. Okay, so now last time we talked, we, we just went on record as saying that Christian churches should pay taxes. And I'll tell you why we said that. If you go with me to the book of Romans... Um, one of our roundtable discussion um, participant brought found this scripture, Romans chapter thirteen, verse number five. Now, this is let me give you a little background. This is uh, Paul talking to the church, and he was telling them to be subject or to obey the rules of the laws of the land and higher powers and all of the, those good things. He said. Romans chapter 13, verse 5, says, Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sakes. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom or respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another feel, feel, hath fulfilled the law. In other words, um, those ministers and people who are over you, take care of them. <laughs> Matthew, now that's a whole other subject altogether, isn't it? All those people that say, why do ministers get paid? The Bible says in like three or four different sections that the man of God or woman of God, whichever the case may be, that is your minister, pastor, elder, whatever you call him or her, should be receiving a salary of some sort from the church. Point blank. It says it in three or four scriptures. Three or four different books of the Bible that they should be receiving a salary. And I know we're getting off the subject here, but what about those mega churches? What about, if there is a million churches in America, I don't know what the number is, but let's say that there is a million. Is less than 1% of those million churches that are mega churches. The research continued to show us that 98% of the churches that are in existence in America has fewer than 175 people. Most churches are not mega churches. So we can't lump the whole church world with those few mega churches. Not that there's anything wrong with those mega churches because they are needed. But we also got to keep in mind that not everybody will be comfortable or fit in a mega church. Some people like small churches. So, and we covered that as well, remember? So let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Another scripture that they brought out for us. Matthew, chapter 22. Now, this is Jesus himself speaking. And we're talking about why the church should pay tax taxes. And why is it such a big deal? Well, we're going to get into that in a minute. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 16. And they sent 
out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto him, to them, Whose is this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar. Then said he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. In other words, if it's required by law to pay this tribute, tax, or whatever it may be called to that particular piece of government, then do so. <coughs> Jesus also, there was a time when his taxes were due, and he didn't have any money. Remember this story? And he sent a couple of his disciples fishing. He said, go fishing. And the first fish that you catch, open up his mouth, and there's going to be some money in there. Take that money and go pay that's what's due to us, from us. So he did. Um, so we see point blank that Jesus is telling us to take care of, to obey the rule of the land. Now, if the rule is, is not fair, then we peacefully try to lobby our congressmen and whoever is in charge to get those kinds of laws passed. But we don't just voluntarily say we're not going to do what we're supposed to do. However, if you remember history from what, seventh grade, eighth grade, one of the principles of this country being established was they were fleeing religious persecution so that they could come here and practice their religion as they saw fit. In particular, they were running or protesting because, you know, it was called the Protestant Reformation, protesting against the Catholic Church. So they came over here to practice the way they wanted to practice their religion. Also, one of the other principles was the freedom from taxation without representation. Right? Remember that from high school? For some of us, that was quite some time ago. <clears throat> I'm not looking at you when I say that, but it was. And we may have forgotten all those things. It actually says on the 501c3 tax paper that you as a church don't have to file this paper to be tax exempt. It's written somewhere in the Articles of Confederation or the Constitution, somewhere, that the government cannot tax the church. So what happened? Why did they pass that law back in 1954 by Lyndon Johnson, the president, saying that, listen, if you file this paper, you become tax exempt. How's that possible? We're already tax exempt if we're a church. What's going on? What do you think was going on there that he decided to trick us? Churches as a whole. More control. Control. Yes. Because with that same paper... And if you read all the fine print on it, it says, listen, now you're going to be tax exempt. We're not going to tax you. But there's certain restrictions that you can and cannot do. What, what do you mean? Me as a pastor cannot stand in my official capacity as pastor and say to my congregation, don't vote for this person or to vote for that person. I cannot do that. People, pastors do it all the time. I get that. But by law, they, that paper that they signed saying that you can't do that, they could come in, just video record you saying and doing those things, and go after your tax-exempt status. 
And to me, what would be the big deal about that? We got to pay taxes anyway, right? So why wouldn't the church do that as opposed to trying to save a few dollars here and there? And the bigger the church, the more money you save. I get all of that. But that's just one little piece of control. We know that in certain parts of the country right now, certain groups, special groups are trying to make it so that you can't talk about this hot button issue or this hot button issue. Uh, one of the candidates who's out of the race right now, Beto O'Rourke, has suggested in one speech that he gave to a group of people that he wanted to go in and make churches so that they could not say what they term negative things about those special groups. It's like, wait a minute, brother. Oh, you can't do that. There's a We have religion, freedom of religion here, and we have freedom of speech here. You can't just do that. I get it that you want everyone to be accepting of others. We're all for that. I don't want to discriminate against anybody. And I certainly don't hate any group, even if I completely disagree with them. I don't hate you, and I'm not going to do anything that would cause you harm. Not on purpose, anyway. And if I do, let me know, and I will quickly change my tone. So, what I'm saying is, it's a matter of control. That the government, I believe, and this is not just my conspiracy theory, why, was he, why did he trick us in the first place of getting that form? <clears throat> had to be something going on that he didn't want the churches to touch on, whether it be uh, freedom, whether it be race-related, whether it be money-related, whatever was going on in that time that the churches were touching on that he didn't want to be publicized, and that was a form of control. He Shut the church up. What, what they were saying and how they were saying it and how they were presented to the people that was considered his constituents. Right. And we see, now that was in 54. We see yeah. that same thing playing out today. Another piece for me. Can I just say the differences in 54 is in today. In 54, they did it on the down low. Now, they just do it right out in front of everyone. And not that one is better than the other, but it's just blatant that they're doing these things now. And I believe that, like a whole lot of other things, um, 54 was the thing that kind of got us to lower our expectations and to lower our... It's almost like they uh, conditioned the church to be this way. Now the church is recognized as a charity. We're supposed to go around feeding the poor and all of that as our primary mission. Do you believe, would you think strange of me if I told you that that is not the church's primary mission? The mission of the church is not, the primary mission is not to feed the poor. Right, it's to spread the word of God. It is to spread the gospel. Now, in the process of spreading the gospel, we do feed the poor, we do clothe the poor, and we do all of those things, but the church as a whole now is looked at by the unsaved as a charity, as a weak institution because... We're always begging for money, and we seem poorer and broker than those who are not saved. Which or, is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Or they're just there to get your money, right? For their how it for them to use, however, whether it's to spread the gospel or not, they're they're just banking it away. Which is exactly why my friend that I took to church on Sunday got up in the middle of the presentation and walked out. 
Yep. And he said, and I quote, this looks like a business to me. Ten minutes into the whole service, they threw in a video that talked about money. And 20 minutes into the video, they're still going on about it. I'm like, oh, oh, this is an unsaved person who is looking for something. And this is what they throw at us. So, um, in the Old Testament, one of the primary reasons that God chose the children of Israel, and he told them point blank, I didn't choose you because you're special or because you're better than anyone else. I chose you according to my own choosing so that you can be an example to the rest of the nations of the world. And you are to take this information and spread it to the rest of the world. Now, we know that they had some problems getting that accomplished. There was a few times where they gone to these different places and the people said, listen, we heard what had happened, what your God did to the people of Israel or, or excuse me, the people of Egypt and these people. And our hearts were just sunk because we knew that your God is the true God. Compare, and he, that theme is repeated throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But now, that's not so much the theme of the church, is it? If you ask 100 people, I'm sure you probably get 90 different answers of to what is the theme of the church. Is the theme of the church just so that I can learn how to live a better life? Yes, but that's not the main theme. I'm not saying that they're doing anything wrong. It seems like they've taken the top 10 things of why the church is in existence and flipped it around. Instead of me learning how I can live a better life because I'm a Christian or God wants me to be rich, all the crazy stuff that we hear out there versus the main theme of church as a whole and individually is this. Take that knowledge and relationship that you have with Christ and give show someone else that relationship so that more and more people can enter into God's kingdom. Research has, continues to show us that there's very little in America, very little evangelism and discipleship going on. It also shows us that there's many people that sit in church that don't know more about God than they know about the local politician. And you have to wonder, not judge, but wonder how many, there's something called fake Christians or false Christians who think that they're Christian, but because of their lack of relationship with God, you got to wonder, because the Bible says a tree is known by the fruit that it bears. Uh, the church is supposed to be a powerful entity that takes care of itself first. That is a concept from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Take care of it itself first. Whereas now it's like the government is taking care of the church. And I think that should change. But I believe that there's a remnant of God's people that see that. That listen, we're not hopeless down here. And it's not about us accumulating stuff and living such a good life, which we all want, but the, the main thing that Christ wants from us is, one, to have a growing relationship with himself, yes, and two, actually, if your relationship with Christ is that good, you're going to automatically want to tell somebody. Is that right? How many of you have ever met someone that you fell in love with, and you love that person so much 
that you said, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I can't wait for Sean to meet Jill. You wanted to share in your joy, in your happiness. You went through that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. That's, yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that's what I did. If you really love something, you're going to want other people to experience that same joy that you have. And you want that person. It was so important for me, for her to love you, that when, I, when the introduction did come, I'm like, okay, is she going to like her? I know she's going to like her because I love her. I know she's going to like her. But the same is probably true with Christ. When we present Christ to someone else, we know that the more they get to know him, the real Jesus, not that fake Jesus that's out there, but the real Jesus, we know that they're going to fall in love with him. Amen? Yes. Any questions? Comments? So what are we saying here? We're saying that we should pay our taxes. Churches should pay our taxes. And what is the big deal that they don't pay their taxes? What's the big deal? They think they're saving money. They think they're getting around the system. They think um, they're being helped by not paying taxes when in reality it's a form of control. Also, too, you use a road from your house to the church. Somehow that road has to get cared for. Someone has to get up and someone has to plow that road. Someone has to pave the entire of the road. The materials have to be bought. And so anyone that has any kind of transportation, you have to get from one place to the next. That money has to come from somewhere, and it should be taxes. <coughs> Amen. Um, That's what it's taxes, times. No, it's a completely different thing. Um, and we, uh, people in church should pay their tithes to not so much to support a lavish lifestyle of the minister, but so that the church can go Sam, on. the church as a whole, as an entity, right. as an entity, should pay taxes. Just like if you pay your own personal state and federal taxes, they should pay taxes. Yes. And to not do so sends a message to the world that we're on welfare. And that's not what Christ wants. Christ doesn't want us to be looked at, the church as a whole, as if we're on welfare, that the government has to take care of us. In fact, he's got the complete opposite of that. He's like, listen, show the rest of the world that if you're on my side, you're going to prosper. You're going to be successful. It says that, and we see that specifically when Moses is going off the scene and Joshua is coming on the scene, as far as leaders is concerned. He said, if you live for me, listen, your vegetables in your garden is going to be plenteous. Your cattle, if you have any, they're going to be, I'm going to prosper you in so many different ways. And I want you to take this information and take it to those nations that don't know me. In other words, we're going to be so appealing in the natural that they're going to stand back and say, hmm, what's going on with them folks called Christians? But right now, we're looked at as if we have to be taken care of. Like a victim mentality. And there's, that's not good. The person that got up, my friend that got up and left the service, he's already financially successful. Runs his own business. Or second in charge of the business. So he didn't need that financial management piece. He wasn't looking for that. He was looking for something else that this place did not give. 
gospel is more than just for poor people. It's for rich people. It's for all kinds of people. Things that we're supposed to to emanate so much joy and peace and no matter what we're going through, that it's actually attractive to other people. Now, if, if everything is always wonderful in our life and we are Christian, that's beautiful. Thank God for that. We want that. But how much more when you know that this person is going through hell and high water, but they still manage to have a smile and have a good word? And then when you ask them, um, what is it that, that this stuff that's happening around here don't bother you? And you say humbly, listen, without Christ, without the Holy Ghost in me, I too probably would be messed up in the head like everyone else. But Christ is giving me peace in the midst of all of this nonsense. So being a Christian is not the absence of problems. It's knowing who to look up to and who to trust on when all of this stuff that's going to be happening in America, and so for some of us is already happening, <laughs> that you can still have peace and joy and hope for the future. That is attractive in the natural as well as the spiritual. And those are part of the things that's going to draw people to Christ. Why do you think Christ performed so many miracles? There's two reasons. There was two reasons why he performed a lot of miracles. One was obviously he had compassion on that person. For the unbelievers. For the unbelievers. And he's, he actually said these words to somebody. He said, listen, if you didn't believe me because of the words that I've said, at least believe me for the very works that I've done. Didn't I heal the sick in front of you? Didn't I raise a man from the dead who had been dead for three days? If you don't believe nothing I'm saying, if you don't believe anything I'm saying, that man was dead and in the tomb for three days, and you still not going to believe? <laughs> part, of our, part of the reason why God wants to make some of us prosperous is so that we can be a light and an a example. Witness. Yes, yes. And part of us are going to be poor. God designed us to be poor. On purpose so that, he said, listen, I trust that Jill is still going to trust me, even though she will never be rich. She'll always be poor. And then when they see Jill is always broken, busted. Well, she's always smiling and happy. What's going on? I've had a few people in my lifetime come up to me and say, Rod, what's, you always seem to have a big smile. What's going on? And my first thought, God, suspends my first thought. And then he puts the real thing out of my mouth. Because his first thought is just because I got it going on. But. The real thing, <laughs> I'm the real soulmate. Uh, <laughs> the real pro uh, reason why I have that joy is this. Listen, without God, I'd be an old drunken bum, still on Frost Avenue, doing the coke. But God is in my life now, and that's why I can have joy. I don't always take advantage of that, but it's there because I'm one of his children. I may not be the best child he has, but I'm still his child. And anybody that's got children know that, okay, how bad your child is, still you still love them. And you don't just throw them out the window because they did something you didn't like. And if you did, then you're not a good parent. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're not a good parent. So let's end there by saying that the church is powerful and strong and we don't need government welfare and you will not shut us up. Amen. Amen. Hey friends, before we go, thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope and pray that it was informative and that you got something out of it and that it 
maybe even answered a few questions in your mind. But listen, if you have been listening to the podcast and you realize that you want to know this Jesus Christ that we're talking about, you want to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. Well, it is my distinct privilege and honor to lead you through the process of getting to know him better. And the process isn't complicated, doesn't require a whole lot of um, steps. It's simply acknowledging that you want Jesus Christ, that you have, through the course of your actions and things that you've done in your life, for the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God or pleasing God, that you're genuinely remorseful for about the, thing, about the things that you've done. Then say this simple, simple prayer, yet sincere prayer with me, and mean it from the depths of your heart. Father, I realize now that I am a sinner. I repent of my sins, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross so that I could be forgiven. I believe that Jesus paid a debt that I could not pay. I receive him now by faith as my Lord, my Savior, and my guide. And Father, I ask that you would fill me with the precious gift of your Holy Ghost so that I may draw closer to you. Father, I believe right now that it is already done, that it has been done, and I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, congratulations, my friend. If you've said that with a sincere heart, the Bible lets us know that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And long before you leave this earth, long before you die, God wants to continue to grow with you and have a relationship, a personal relationship with you as Father. Now, I would encourage you to find yourself a true Bible-believing church. It doesn't have to be a huge church. In fact, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast for any length of time, that we specialize in house churches. But regardless of what the size is, a church that is truly preaching the word of God and helping you to grow closer in your relationship with God. If you need more information or clarification, as always, give us a call at area code 585-331-3424. May God bless you, and we see you again on the next podcast.